0: What's up everybody, this is Ili Zellers, basement show Basement Talk, that track right there, Rob G, Kenful Jones, track he did for the movie Nagy Beer, because I told y'all, I was going to talk about Natty Bill. Uh, I had to pull the DVD out. I had only got one left. I had to pull the out, DVD out the other day and uh, I look at that movie just to kind of refresh myself because I hadn't seen it in a long time. And what I discovered after looking at it, because I know what's going to happen a lot of times, you know, so I talk about Natty Bill online, even like, you know, doing this uh, podcast uh, about Natty Bill. I know somebody's going to hit me up and be like, how can I get a copy of that movie, man? I ain't seen it in a while, and I want to get a copy of that. And it's kind of a thing where it's kind of like, after watching it, you know, and I'm going to talk about that later, I just think it's one of those movies that, I don't know if, look, there's some movies out there sometimes you just kind of like, you know, hey, hey, did it, done thing, done deal, do it necessarily need to be circulating again. Because one thing is, it was, My first film, Uh, I had did a uh, previous movie, which was a short film for uh, public access, and uh, it was my first venture into the whole art of cinema, and uh, I just kind of came in from from the, 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 the start. Where I didn't know a whole lot about it, just hey, let me get this stuff a try because I've been a photographer for so long and had a good understanding about you know taking pictures and composition and all this kind of stuff. So I figured like, yeah, why not? Hey, I can make a movie. So, um, um, which I did, and like I said, uh, when I <laughs> I haven't seen this movie in. I I know in like probably fifteen, it'd it been over a decade since I last looked at this movie. There was times I looked at it. A lot of times I'm watching it and I just cringe, like, Ugh, God, what the hell was I'm thinking? Um, but you know, you, you if if you when you want to try to learn anything, the first step is to make the step to to do it, to make the effort. So that's what it was about. Um. Yeah, I made this post that long ago about um, the fact that I'd done um, five feature films, done some shorts, done some other stuff, Basement Show, a lot of y'all know about that, Um, done some other projects, done some movies for some other people. But um, for myself, I I wrote five feature films, um, Purple Haze and OTR, Um, I wasn't the sole writer on those but I'm going to talk about them uh, in another podcast. But this one tonight is about Nattyville. And like I said, so I popped in the DVD and I'm looking at this and I was just kind of like, I can't let nobody ever see this movie. (laughs) I know people are going to be like, yeah, man, I want to get a copy of that movie, man. You know what's funny about that? It's like I've made several copies for people. Some of y'all know I have because you like gotten several copies. I don't know what happened to your copies. It you got scratched. The cat chewed it up. Or, you know, I don't know. Just the baby threw it around the house as a frisbee. But the possibility of getting another copy is just probably won't happen because I think sometimes, like, you get to a certain place in your life and you look at things in a different light and. I look at this and it, it, it was something that was done then. It happened, we did it, pulled it off or whatever. And um, it's, I know it's not too many people out there got DVDs. I do have it online, but it's on YouTube and it's set on private so nobody can see it but me. And, and that's probably where it will, it will remain. Um, and as I talk about this, uh, during this podcast, um, you know, some people might understand why I said that. Um, number one, like I said, it was my first time trying to make a movie and it was just like, it de- definitely showed because this was done back in 2003, it's before you, you know got all the DSL cameras and there was no iPhone with all of the fancy things that an iPhone can do today as far as with cinema and all this kind of stuff. I think back then, you, Fucking it was like what, a pager or something like that, or a flip phone if we had that. I definitely wasn't making no movies with it. And I believe this was sh um believe this was shot on straight VHS tape. I'm pretty sure for sure it was shot on VHS. So my idea back when I was doing this movie, um, when I decided I wanted to try to do film. Um my whole goal was just trying to see if I could put something together that would make sense. I wasn't trying to make cinematic history and you know, trying to be Alfred Hitchcock or none of that kind of stuff. I just wanted to make this kind of like street flick that was like no hose Hall, bar. I think I pronounced that right. I've been drinking tequila, so I'm, just bear with me. Um, so I just wanted to like make this movie and see if it makes sense. I wanted to see if I could like tell a story Cut it together, and you would be able to understand what I was trying to do. Um, I watched it, like I said, last night, and I'm looking at it like, what was you trying to do there, Lee? Exactly, what was you trying to do there? Um, but I, it, it was a story, basically, OTR is a story about uh, two friends. And they they kind of, you know, neither one of them got money. Um, they out just doing whatever they do to have a good time. Uh, they like to get high. One of them prefer to use a uh, harder substance to get high. Another one just kind of like to smoke, smoke weed, make that clear. And um, so they they just friends, you know, piling around, hanging out, doing things in the hood. And then they, they, got, they got a guy who they go buy their drugs from named Tyrone. Tyrone is a very special kind of character. No nonsense type of guy. Basically, don't take no shit off of nobody. And um, so you got these friends, buddies, boys, and a situation happened where um, Tyrone eventually gets busted for his illegal drug business. And um, an opportunity presents itself for one of the characters uh damn might have to probably wrote his name down the character name don't remember it but it was played by my man uh jb um and uh actor a guy named alfred willis at the time this is like 2003 i know where uh i've seen um jb i think a couple times on facebook some of these people some of the people i've had in this movie I think I only have contact with one of them, as far as like any uh, social media uh, contact or whatever. Uh, pretty much everybody else, I don't. Well, no, I, I take that back because there's one actress in the film who I haven't worked with, matter of fact, since 2003, and I just recently had her in my new movie, uh, Chasing the Moon. So we'll talk about that. So. Back in 2003, I'm trying to do this movie. And like I said, the story's about these two guys who are basically out doing what they do, having a good time, having fun, you know. And uh, the guy who they go buy their drugs from, he gets jammed up by the law. And um, one of the characters sees this as an opportunity because he kind of kicking it with Tyrone's girlfriend. Annoying to Tyrone. And she basically say, hey, I think this character name is Eddie. I think his name was Eddie. I think the name was Eddie, if I remember. Um, and she basically say, hey, you know, police made this bus, searched the crib, but they didn't find the stash. And you know, I can tell you where the stash is and you can go do what you want to do. And that's what happens. And when this whole thing takes place, cause it's, they, they all witness it, the two friends witness it together. And you know, it's kind of like a situation where the one dude uh, played by uh, Alfred Willis, can't think of his character. I think his, that, that no, nah, his name was Eddie. His name was Eddie, made that mistake. I can't remember what JB character name was. It might come to me. Like I said, I sipping tequila tonight and I just got there doing a podcast before I started on this one. So bear with me. Um, so when this whole ordeal takes place, they see this bus and all this kind of stuff and they've been doing all kind of crazy shit and living this crazy life or whatever. And they're like, hey, man, you know, like... One guy like, you know what, this boy, he's like, I'm going to go ahead and find out what his dope is at, do some things with that. And Eddie, like, you know what, hey, that's you. You want to go do that? I'm out of here. I don't have nothing to do with this shit. And they kind of part ways at this moment. You know, they don't. They kind of go different directions and stuff. You know how it happens in life. You've experienced that probably yourself or you've been friends with somebody and just shit goes in a different direction at some point. And this is what happens with them. So they part ways. Uh eddie uh always has sort of a uh, interest in art and photography which he becomes this photographer and making a decent living at it and some years later um his friend is back in the picture which i can think of his name maybe it'll come to me and uh his friend comes back into the picture and he's like he's you know he and came up. He came up off of Tyrone's drugs and he's the drug dealer himself. At one time he was a customer. Now he's a dealer and he's doing pretty good himself. He even got a bodyguard. Um uh, was played by Lakeisha Cunningham. Uh, so, you know, they uh, hook up, you know, ain't seen each other in a long time. Decided to get back to, you know, hang out, reacquaint and 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 do some things or whatever and they go through some, still go through some changes Um, to a point where um, sometimes like they say, you know, things in your past don't always stay in your past. And, and it's funny when I look at this movie, you know, and I, I remember when I did the movie at the time because I was, I was like I said, like before I got into this, I was a photographer and I used to always have people like, how much of that story is like about you? Like, because this guy's a photographer, you're a photographer? I know you used to do this, you used to do that. Maybe just like it's like you know. I think most time when people write a book, a novel, fiction novel, whatever, sometimes they're writing a a, a story or whatever. And sometimes depending on what it is, it might be elements in there that is that they can relate to, or as part of their life, or part of some of the things they experience. Uh, Nattyville is some parts of that. Is some things I experienced. I'm not gonna tell you exactly what it is, just not. But it is some stuff in there that's like yes. I know the real truths of it, but I'm not gonna tell you all of it. Um, yet except that I was a photographer and I had a lot of fun when I was a photographer and uh met a lot of people. But um so that's yeah, so the story was that and you know, like I said, he good friends and um, the other character, I dang wish I can think of his name. I wish I could think of his name. Uh, I but I think I just call him like so just to help with me telling this story, I just call him Tony. I know this wasn't his name, but I should've remembered that when I like I said I haven't watched the movie in a decade, over a decade, and it's been a long time since I had any kind of contact with anybody in the film or you know, any involvement with this story since that time I put it out. And uh, so like they get back together and like I said, they have uh they they sort of rekindle some stuff and they still have some bad experiences. Sometimes you can't escape your past, and the past comes back and bite them in the ass in a big way, which is Tyrone. Because Tyrone, just because he went away, don't mean Tyrone wasn't going to get back out the joint. Y'all know that shit how it be. Some of y'all probably out there done, done some stuff, and like, yeah, so-and-so, yeah, he gone, You going to do his bit. But, you know, that, that bit comes to an end at some point. So... Um, <laughs> And so I'm looking at this movie, and it's like there's certain things in there, and it just takes me back to the process of how I got to this place. Like, how did you get to this place of doing this film? Well, it always started out first with a story. And at this time, you know, I knew about some independent films. I think, if I'm not mistaken, and I'm going to look this up on my phone because I'm not sure about the date of this. But I think this may have been a time see what year did Blair Witch come out. Because I think this was during a time when the independent movies everybody was you know doing independent films. Hollywood was in love with independent filmmakers and they saw an opportunity there we were like hey these guys are making these movies for no money at all and all we gotta do is put a few dollars behind it and capitalize on a, uh, a film that we didn't really have to uh, give a budget to. And they was all jumping on the stuff. Yeah, Blair Witch came out in 1999. So I did this like in 2003. So I was following behind all of this other stuff. I think what you yeah, uh, did Clerks by John uh, by Michael, what's the name? Uh, Smith. Uh, Kevin Smith. Who did the movie Clerks. What year did that come out? I'm trying to look that up right now. Sorry about that, but I just want to... Clerks came out in 94, so yeah. So 2003, I did Nattyville. And uh, so because it's an independent film, you know, there ain't no money involved, there's no producers involved, there's no studio involved, it's just me. So I'm like, hey, it's just me. You know, I can do what I want to do. I'm writing this, I'm financing this, I got a couple bucks, I can buy some snacks for catering. Some, I could afford to buy some VHS tapes. I got, I got a VHS camera. I got a couple of lights for my photography days. So, hey, we're going to make a movie. So, we're making a movie. Got to get the story. Got the story. And I just had this idea. Like I could say all I wanted to do was tell a story. I just wanted to see if I could tell a story and see if it would make sense. That's what I wanted to do. And I just wanted to make it something like kind of street, very urban, out in the hood. And I wanted to be like, nope. No, you know, no. I'm about to say that word again, I'm about to screw it up. I basically just wanted to have the freedom to say what the fuck I wanted to say in this film and do what the fuck I want to do, and I pretty much did. Was it a good choice? Maybe. I don't know. So I did this movie. Got the story together. So then it was about, okay, I got to find actors. How do I get actors? i never worked with actors before. Had the experience of getting kind of close to it with my man, uh, uh, Filmmaker, independent filmmaker here named Tyrone Richardson. I think he did a movie. I think it was called One Way Out. Shot here, independent film. And the way I got connected with him was another photographer who passed away some years back named Cladis Moore. Good friend. uh, Put me in touch with Tyrone Richardson. He was like this guy. Tyrone may need uh, somebody to do some photography for him some uh, head shots and steel shots and stuff like that. So he was like, you know, you might be the guy. kind of had my mic down now. You might realize it's a little bit better adjusted. Anyway, so he said, maybe you might be the guy that could, um, you know, do these shots for him. So um, so I, that's how I met Tyrone. And, and kind of was behind the scene and watched him work on this uh, movie that he was doing where um, – he obviously, too, didn't have a budget, but he was making a film. And um, so after, you know, kind of watching that experience, um hope everything sounded good technically because I had some stuff said wrong. But anyway, we're just going to go through with this because this is the first one podcast about the behind the scenes of the making of some of these independent movies. And we're just going to keep rolling with this. I think I might have had something said a little different on this equipment here, but I know the audio is coming through. I digress. So after watching what Tyrone was kind of doing, I was kind of like, okay, so you can't make a movie and you don't need money and all this kind of stuff. And I'm just kind of like, you know, don't know a whole lot about this stuff. I did a little documentary that that sucked because I I took for granted that because I was a photographer, uh, I could, you know, just jump right into this stuff and and easily make a movie without putting a whole lot of (laughs) research or studying behind this stuff and um, realize that, hey, when I did the documentary, no, you need to do your homework. So I tried to do some homework, did a little bit was inspired by my man Robert Rodriguez who did El Mariachi. That was the movie that kind of set it off for me. That kinda like, okay, you could do this shit. You could do this. You could do this. This is possible. This is doable. So I had to get a cast. Gotta get a cast. Gotta get you have to have a cast to make a movie. You don't have a cast, I mean then is what you gonna do. You're gonna be in front of the camera by yourself and be a one man show? No. So I started putting out information. Um uh, I started uh you know putting out flyers and stuff like that. Yeah, back then you could put out flyers. This was before, you know, you could, like, send out, you know, some stuff on social media, hit up a bunch of people on Facebook and, 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 and uh, MySpace and all that kind of stuff. I don't even think MySpace was even around at that time. Not that I recall. Um, so I, I put out some information to let people know I was doing this audition for an independent film called Nattyville. Um so i got people to show up to my location and um just trying to research something right quick while i'm just talking about this um so people came out to the audition wow my i'm just, just checking this out MySpace came about in the year 2003 actually when i started doing this movie how interesting so put out flyers, found a location, all that kind of stuff where I could hold auditions. People came out, did the auditions. The one part I had a hard time casting, though, was for this racist cop. Had a hard time casting for the racist cop. But pretty much had everything else locked down. Probably maybe a a character uh, maybe here and there. I may not have had locked down, but for the most part had a Pretty much locked down. Um, so I get my I get I think I got my cast together. So I'm like, okay, I got my cast, I got my lead actors, I got all my people, I got all my principal players, I got it already locked down. Okay, cool. So I'm like, okay, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna do a we're gonna do a read. I learned this that, you know, you do a read with the characters, the actors, and read over the script so they can kind of get understanding. I ain't no shit about writing a script, I just just went it. just had an idea, had some stories, knew what I want the characters to say. So I'm like, I'm just going to put this stuff on paper. I got a laptop, whatever, and print this stuff out. So I'm setting this thing up to have these actors come over who just auditioned for me, who just said, yeah, I want to be in your movie and all this kind of stuff. I think it might have been about eight people, seven or eight people I was expecting at that time. Had this stuff set up at my house had a little table set up, had all the scripts laid out, bought some food and all this kind of stuff so we could do this read with these actors so we can start this process of making this movie. Then the day that uh, we were supposed to uh, do this read, um, only one actor showed up. Yeah, only one actor showed up. Like, I start calling folks, like, I thought you were going to, Oh uh, yeah, uh, this I I meant to try to get you know people coming in. We got these excuses. Some people just didn't answer the phone. I don't know what happened. One actress shows up. The actress that showed up was a question mark because I had to card her because I wasn't sure she was old enough to be in this film. So I'm like, I need to see some ID. Well she showed me her ID. Could have been fake. I don't know. Um. Uh, majesty santiago she was the only actress who showed up it was kind of weird <laughs> you're sitting there and i'm like um i don't know what's happening. um maybe it just let's just give it a minute i'm pretty sure anybody will show up they're going to be showing up in any second now and she's kind of sitting there at the table all professional Looking very young, because I'm like, can, can you show me your ID again? Because you, you need to make sure you're 18. Because if you're not 18, I'm going to need to have your adult uh, sign. Uh, okay that you be in this film. She's like, yes, I'm 18. So anyway, she sits there, and I'm like, you know, basically after some time go by, maybe a half hour, 45 minutes, realize nobody's going to show. I tell her, I'm like, look, I don't know what happened, why these people fake me out like that, you know, um, but uh, I'm going to make this movie. And if you stick with me, you'll still have your part, which she did. We had another audition, second time around, it was different, I was able to cast the movie, pretty much, except for, again, the person to played the racist cop. And it was weird because the second time I went to cast for this movie, I started having people who had done a little work, some actors who have been in a few things, I was looking for a white male actor to play this really racist ass cop. He was going to say some, I mean, I just when I wrote the shit at the time and when I watched it on the, <laughs> I watched the DVD, DVD the other day, I was like, damn, what the hell was you thinking when you had this guy say this shit? Because all of the actors who I had uh, tried to audition for that part, they would read those lines and they are just like, I can't, I can't say that shit. Like I, I just don't want to say that. Like That's just some foul stuff, and I just don't want to say it. And I'm like, you're an actor. You're an actor. This is what you do. You're supposed to play a part. You play a role. It's not real. And they was like, yeah, I get out of there, but I ain't saying that shit. That's some foul shit. I'm not going to say it. So they wouldn't say it. So eventually, uh, one of the actors who was involved he made a suggestion. He's like, I'm working with a guy who, I don't know, he might want to do it. I don't know. I'll just throw it out there at him, see if he want to do it. Uh, actor uh, talking about now is Ali Rotman. Haven't seen this guy since back then. Uh, he said, yeah, I know somebody. I don't know, this person I'm working with, he might he might do it. So he said, I'll put you in touch with him. I'm like, all right, that's cool. So like, we need that guy because, you know, he's, he's, he's not a key actor in here, but for the particular arrest scene, we need this cop in there. And uh, so he was like, I'll talk to this guy and see what he would do. And uh, I was trying to find this little clip. This is a little clip of, not what the actor had to say, but I was just trying to find another little clip of from the movie. Um, that's not it. Sorry about that sometimes with technology here's the same for a what can I do you, free old motherfuckers I'm going to take a wild fucking guess you got money that's how we got money man that's why we here stupid ass side. trying to take any money motherfucker. stupid ass side man you know there's a you never got no money. it's probably when I lost last night we got tickets the most part. No, we just back there, fuck, that free she probably could Tim, Eddie, hey, okay. I got time to y'all personal shit. I assume that said your motherfuckers serious, y'all on the same hookup. Yeah, you got that right. Yeah, you know what time it is, crazy motherfucker. What time it is, you call me crazy when it was goddamn time, and I'm gonna blow your motherfucking head off. Now say something else. Yeah, that was, uh, Allie Rotman playing Tyrone, crazy, this is crazy drug dealer dude, so we get the cast together, and I'm getting locations together, then I had a lead actor who was playing, actually before I got to Alfred Willis, I had another lead bailed on me, um, So that's how I ended with Alfred Willis because the other actor bailed on me. Left his leather coat. I kept that, but you know, know, come back. You know, whatever you leave behind is mine. So, uh, so we 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 get we got our locations and all this kind of stuff. So it's like okay, well we got all our actors. Uh, Ali introduced me to this guy. I didn't want to say his name. I'll tell you why. introduce me to somebody who will play this part the racist cop. So I was like let me just tell the story about the racist cop part. So you know there's, there's this old saying you know once you go black you heard it before once you go black you don't go back. So my idea was this racist ass cop he would try to say that but he would have it all wrong. so it's a scene where he goes to arrest Ali's character Tyrone, and he's out there trying to put cuffs on him and all these characters talking shit, you know, he's saying this stuff like, you know, if I wasn't black, y'all wouldn't be doing this and blah, 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 and I can't stand you white Mm -hmm. cops and all this kind of stuff. So then uh, the guy who's playing the racist cop gets him in the car. And like I said, there was a part where, you know the old saying, once you go black, you don't go back, but he gets this all screwed up and he says, this is like the shit that I I couldn't get no actor to say. So instead of saying once you go black you don't go back, he says what's that saying once you fuck a nigger your pussy gets bigger or something like that? And his partner said, what? She says, she's like, what? What kind of shit? What, no, buddy, what are you saying? He's like, yeah, what's that saying? What is that? Once you go black, once you fuck a nigger your pussy gets bigger. What is that shit? And she's like, no, no, you got it all wrong. It's once you go black you don't go back. Where did you come from with Dick, 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 pussy, bigger. Than so this dude did had no problem saying it. Even I remember one other time in there, he dropped the word nigger and I was like, I don't remember him writing in there words for him to say nigger again. I had it wrote one time for him to say nigger but not twice, but yet he threw that in anyway. <laughs> Some years later, this dude turned out to be a damn huge Trump supporter. Makes sense now, don't it? Uh, yeah, it all makes sense now. Um, So we getting our scenes shot. We had to do this arrest scene. that took place downtown, over the Rhine. This is, and, and this, and this one thing was kind of cool. Looking at this, was seeing how over the Rhine looked before, you know, it became gentrified, uh, with all the little coffee shops and little sandwich shops and all the little, you know, outdoor eateries and all that kind of stuff. This was back when it was like hood, baby, very hood. And uh, so we shot a lot of it downtown back in those days. And, um, you know, the thing when you, you, you're you doing these locations, you know, you got to, you know, in Cincinnati, you can film pretty much anywhere on the streets. You don't have to have permits and all that kind of stuff like you would in New York, California, places like them or some other states. But here, uh, as long as you're not interfering with traffic or pedestrians, you pretty much can, you got a freedom to film. So I, I realized that I'm like, hey, I'm good. We're going we're gonna to make this stuff happen. So um <laughs> we shooting this movie. Uh my son, um who'd been with me pretty much on all of those five films, the other four that I will talk about later, he was my sound guy. He's like been the best sound boom person ever. I've had some others, but he was always the best. He just knew how to like do his steady arms, do just where to put that mic at and get that sound. But at the time, like, I didn't know a lot about filmmaking. I didn't know a lot about equipment. I didn't know a lot about the sound. And I'm picking up horrible audio because there's cars going by. And this was during the time, too, the cicadas was out. We was dealing with the noise from the cicadas. We eventually had to actually include them into the story because every time we would film outdoors, the the noise was deafening sometimes from the damn cicadas. So we had to just kind of, I kind of wrote, let me write the cicadas into the story. Yeah, I do that. So I had to do that. And uh, so it was some crazy stuff going on with this movie. I mean, like I said, we just out there guerrilla styling it, you know, um, just trying to make it happen. And uh, like I said, I had my son with me, and he's doing a boom and stuff like that, and we're shooting these different scenes. And So I'm, I'm trying to tell the story about these two friends and their wildness and crazy times and all this kind of stuff. So one part of the story is about how these guys are out there in the streets and they're doing stuff, they're partying, and they meet these girls and they get these girls, and they, they they take them back to this club, and they go back to the club, and they get into some fights with some guy because one of the girls belongs to this dude, and he comes in the club and sees guys with his girl. They get to a fight, whatever, beat this guy up. Both of them still got the women with him. So I had this idea. I'm like, okay, yeah, you know, these guys out. They wilding. They doing some stuff, getting kind of crazy, got these girls with them. Hey, uh, let's let's do some sex scenes. Like, why not? We're making a movie, independent film. I got no producer, I got nobody tell me I can't do this. All right, let's do it, you wanna do it? You game, you game, you game? They like, yeah, we game, we game. Okay, we're all adults here. So I'm like, okay, I need a place where we can do this at. So we get this bar, this guy let me use his bar. I explain to him what happens. I said, it's a fight scene, then these guys got these girls with him and eventually they take the girls in the bathroom and they have sex. And I guess you know sometimes when you're doing locations or whatever, and somebody says, um, you know, people can go in the bathroom, have sex or whatever, right? To ask the question, like, is they having like real sex because it wasn't real sex, but you just probably want to ask and stuff, like what's going on because this is my establishment. Uh, so we we do the the one scene where they they the, the fight scene, and then it's okay. It's, it's time for us to do this bathroom scene where these guys have sex with these girls in the bathroom. And this bar is no longer around. Um, I just remember when we went in the bathroom, eh, the cleanest of bathrooms. I've been in some bathrooms that was dirtier than that one, but and something that's very clean. This one, like, fell somewhere in between there, but closer to dirtier. So I remember just telling the ladies, like, you know, um, how do we do this? Just don't touch like certain things like don't touch the toilet don't touch the toilet seat nothing like that so we're doing these scenes <laughs> and i never shot any kind of sexual scene before so i don't know exactly what i'm doing at this point i just know like i'm just like hey you know you right your pants down and maybe you know you in this position and that position and i'm filming it and i'm like ah, that don't look right because he supposed to be having sex he's in between your legs but yet his shirt is hanging down past his thigh and how is that be possible that you know that's not realistic so we would change stuff up. And then in this whole process, you know, my actors are, you know, they're buying drinks. They're having drinks and stuff while we, while I shoot one couple, the other couple's over there having drinks. And then when it's time for them, then that other couple, they go drink. And then we do a little playback, and each time we do the playback, somebody would look at the other person's performance and like, this shit look real. Man, they, they, this shit looking real. Can we do ours again? I'm like, yeah, if you want to do it again? We do it again. So, in a, in a sense, the alcohol, with alcohol, didn't loosen people up. It made the sex scene look a lot better because by the time I guess after they had a few drinks, and I didn't encourage them to do this, there was, there was, I didn't say go to the bar, buy drinks. This was decisions made on their own. So, we do these scenes, and like, um, yeah. Um, it was pretty live uh, yeah so due the sex scenes and whatever um, I think I left some equipment or something up to, at the bar so I had to go back there like a few days later or something like that and uh, I remember the bar the owner of the bar was like hey man hey man uh, what's that shit that went down in my place man and I'm like what are you talking about like that, that scene man I said what the fight scene he's like no I saw that he's like cause you know I had to leave early I didn't, get to st- I didn't stay around for the, the other stuff. I said, What other stuff? The sex scene, man. The stuff you were doing in my bathroom. What the fuck was you doing in my bathroom? And I was like, We're shooting a movie. He's like, No, nah, I had some patrons. They were trying to go in and use the bathroom. They were like, You had girls bent over the toilet, dude in the back of her. And I'm like, We're shooting a movie. It's a sex scene. So he was like, nah, you didn't tell me you was going to be doing all of that, which I did. I did tell him that. I just didn't explain. I didn't know I need to explain to him. well, okay, the one guy, they're gonna be doggy style, then it's gonna be a one stall. This person is doggy style, another stall. I didn't know I need to tell you all of that. So he was like, you know what? I just look, just, just look, get whatever stuff you need to get. You, like you would never I like I would not not let you shoot in here again. I'm like, cool, I already got what I need, so it don't matter if I can shoot in here again. So uh I mean, just, like, again, it's, it's, you got a guerrilla style of this stuff. So, we, you know, we was able to get that. Uh, uh, it, it, it's just the challenges of making a movie and making it for the first time and making it back during those times where, you know, it's so much stuff, so much technology. It's so, I mean, like, now you can you make a damn phone movie with your phone. I mean, you can make a very quality, high-quality film with your phone. Back then, like I said, I was shooting shit on VHS. Uh, this is this was at the time the, the the peak of the independent era. Well, actually, it wasn't too long after that whole peak was about to break off. So. Um, so we we, we, we get these scenes done, and we get these different locations. It's always about it's all about location, location, location. You got to have good locations. Let me give some of your film a certain look what you're trying to capture or whatever. So remember, that okay, so we had that bathroom scene. So we had another bathroom scene. It was this other bathroom scene. This is at the time when the character Tony, who's a drug addict, became a big drug dealer after... Uh, finding uh, Tyrone's hidden drugs that the police didn't find. He got a security person and all this kind of stuff. So in this particular scene here, this is not going in no chronological uh, order. Uh, in this particular scene, Tony, like I said, this is like years later. Um, his boy, Eddie, has come up, doing well as a photographer. Uh, Tony's doing well as a drug dealer. So he takes him out for dinner. And when he goes out for dinner, security comes with him. Security, just uh, a young lady, Lakeisha Cunningham, um, played um, his bodyguard. Um, She was like, you know, kind of physical, uh, athletic type uh, actress. Um, So (laughs) it's always some crazy stuff when you're trying to do these kind of films and there's always some stuff that can go wrong and some stuff that can get like really weird. Really weird. Like this is like got really weird. So I had a guy helping me out named Mike. He would come on the set, you know, uh, like a AD, uh, and would help me out on different stuff. Sometimes script supervised. Sometimes like, man, can you go give me a cup of coffee? I'm just kidding. I never had him go give me coffee. Uh, but I would have him help out on the set, do other stuff. So we had the scene where we was shooting this. This was up at the Greenwich Tavern. On Gilbert and Macmillan Greenwich, oh, classic Greenwich, famous, world famous Greenwich nightclub. We were shooting a scene up in there. Uh, It was a dinner scene. Um, Like I said, Tony's character is taking out Eddie and his girlfriend to a nice dinner, and the girl—I had Eddie's girlfriend. She looked like a young. She looked like this girl played Eddie's wife. She looked like uh, damn Halle Berry. I'm like, seriously, she looked like Halle Berry. Her name was uh, Devonda. I think it was Devonda Jordan, I believe. Um, Looked like Halle Berry. She was a good actress, too. So I had the scene where they, you know, Tony's taking them out to dinner. They're at the Greenwich. He got a security there. So Tony excuses himself to go to the bathroom. So scene where he goes in the bathroom, and this guy who's in the club follows him in. He knows uh, Tony, and he started talking shit to him because you know before Tony came up off of Tyrone drugs, he was a, 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 a user himself. So this guy goes in there and starts talking shit about him. So he don't realize so he's not that person no more. Tony's not that person. He's not an addict. You know, he's he's a different guy now. So he goes in there. He's talking smack while Tony's at the stall. He's trying to relieve himself, handle his business and hear this dude come in with this white suit talking smack. So set the scene up. The scene is where the guy got a white suit. He goes in there. He's gonna start shit with Tony. And before he knows it, Tony's security, the female security, she runs up in there. So, because that's her job. She's security. She's there to protect her man. So when she realized there's a situation. She runs in there. Tony done whipped out a pistol and he's like, you know, basically like, look, dude, I don't know who you think you is, but I'm not that guy that you think you could talk to like that. So by this point, his security then stepped in. Tony got a pistol on him. His security, she pops out this knife. Now, I'm filming this scene at, at like a slight 45 degree angle in a wide shot, a two shot pretty much where I can catch her all of this. So, the whole thing was, I was going to tell, because the scene is like, he whips out this knife. Basically, you know, he's at this point thinking he's going to get his throat cut. I just remember trying to show the, uh, the actress how to take the knife, pop it, and flip it open, pop the blade out. The problem with the knife was, again, you know, you're working on a low budget film, you got no money. Uh, somehow the knife had got broke. I don't know if we dropped it, what happened to it, but it got broke. And so I was trying to show her a way that she could still work the blade. So I'm like, okay, you got this figured out? She's like, yeah, I think I can do this. So I'm like, all right, let's let's set this this scene up. I get back there at a 45 degree angle with the camera. I yell, action. She flips the knife. The blade, like, misses my face probably by an inch. I felt it when it went right by, and it was like, whoa. So I'm like, okay, uh, that's not going to work. Let's try this another way. Let's just do this. let's take the whole handle away and we'll just use the knife part and you just come from, bring your hand uh, which is lower and it's out of frame and you just bring your hand up into frame with the knife already out. So we decided to do that. So the scene is where Tony got a gun on this guy who's talking shit to him in the bathroom. his security comes in, she pulls out a knife. she's standing behind the guy. Almost got him kind of like in a, a choke because she done put her arm around him and got the knife. He can't do anything because he got a gun on him and he got somebody with a knife. So, Tony basically said, because you're in here talking all this smack, I'm going to give you an option. You know, because you're going to get hurt. But I'm going to give you an option. To, uh, uh, where, where do you want to get hurt at? Do you want to take a shot in the big head or in the little head? I guess most of y'all can kind of figure it out. Big head, On your shoulder, little head, below your waist. And, you know, I mean, what kind of decision are you going to make on that, you know? So uh, when he's like, man, come on, man, come on, man, come on, blah, 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 blah. Tony says, okay, I guess you already made your decision. That's when his bodyguard, basically, because the guy's already standing there at the stall, he already got his, you know, supposedly got his thing out taking a piss. So that's when she reaches down, supposedly cut his dick off. And he's on the floor, and he's screaming. And I remember we got this fake blood. The fake blood looked really good. Really did a good job, the fake blood. I love using the clear K-roll syrup and just food coloring. One thing that's cool about this stuff, if you get it in your mouth, it doesn't taste bad. The other thing that's cool about it is it washes out fairly easy. So he's on the floor. He's bleeding out. We got the blood all on the floor. La, la, la. It's looking real good. He's screaming. He's kind of overdoing it, but it's still working. So I had this idea that because he's in the bathroom, he's screaming, and you wouldn't want a person that you just who dick you just cut off to be screaming, bringing all this attention. So I had an idea how they would silence him, so he stopped the screaming. And then at that time, my mind was just so open to like whatever. I didn't think, I didn't care. Like I just did whatever came to mind. So I thought, like, how cool would it be if she was to do this, and she was to take her panties off and hand them to uh, Tony, and Tony shoves them in his mouth to make him shut up. So we're doing this because Mike is there, and Mike is kind of helping with the stuff. He's helping me with the, the fake blood and, and a lot of the other stuff that's going on in the scene. So I remember when we set this up, I said, well, you know, we can't actually have you uh, take off your panties. I mean, I mean, I mean, you probably could, but we don't want you to do that. So I was like, well, what kind, of, what kind of outfit? I knew what kind of outfit she was going to wear. So I said, I'll tell you what. i go to the store before we do this whole scene. I, I think, I don't know if I, maybe she bought the panties. I can't remember. I, Mike, maybe Mike bought the panties. I don't know. I just know we somebody had bought some extra panties. So the idea was, so you're not removing your real ones. You would just have these on, on top of your real ones. So when well, we set the scene up, be a low angle shot, uh, showing you when you step out of them. And then you hand them to your your boss. So we did that. She handed the panties to the boss, who was Tony. Tony takes the panties. He's like, shut up, shut up. And he shoves them in the dude's mouth. Crazy scene. I mean, it was crazy. Then this is where it gets weird. So we do that. Scene is done. So uh, trying to get the blood and stuff up off the floor. Because these people, establishment, got to get this fake blood up. And I just remember Mike asking me the question, like, where are those panties at? I'm like what the ones he what the ones she took off. I'm like they're uh, the over there on the floor. Like I said, you want them. He's like yeah. I don't even want to ask why. He just took them. Um. Hey, you know, people like what they like. But that's that's and then after that little scene i had my i had my little cameo in the movie i had my one little cameo my little alfred hitchcock moment because alfred hitchcock would appear in all of this stuff so i had my moment where i stepped into the scene and i played like a waitress or whatever a waiter not a waitress a waiter and my little cameo that was that um it was it was just a crazy time uh Making this movie, uh, Sharon King uh, played uh, uh, Tony's mom, JB's mom. In the movie, she was really good. It was just this crazy relationship between him and the mom, like they the mom hated him and stuff. I remember it was a lot. I had some crazy stuff that I wrote. Like I said, I just, I just had this. I felt this sort of freedom. Like if I'm gonna make this hood movie, I'm gonna make this movie gutter. I'm going to make these people like folks that you just wish you never had in your family or had contact with. That was my idea. It was just these are some really uh below the barrel kind of gutter ass people because in the be- in the beginning part it was real gutter, but then it was about them, you know, coming up. And um so uh, I had this part in there where Sharon King played um the mother of uh, Tony and they they just they, they, this this mother and son, they just the mother just hated her son. It was a line in there where she said something about uh, you know, like, I, I just wished I would have had uh taking you off the respirator. Your, your, if your father wasn't in the room, I would have took you off the respirator or something like that. And because he was he was born like a sickly baby, and then he said some stuff back to the mother, like you know, I wouldn't have been all fucked up like that if you wasn't drinking alcohol the whole time you carried me or some shit like that. It was just like this this hold like, you know, the the depravity, like this is this relationship just with this mother and son was just, you know, really bad. Um but the challenge like, like I said, it was, you know, my my goal was to uh make a movie, see if it'll make sense. Uh, which it did. Um, we had some crazy times. Um, a few love scenes in there. Uh I remember doing one. Uh, we shot at this one. One night, okay, I gotta try to get this. One night we had this, this location that Ali got for me. It was a really nice facility. And this was supposed to be after the time uh, that had elapsed where uh, the actor, Eddie, um, the character Eddie has made it as a photographer and he's doing good. he got his own studio and all of this stuff. And, uh, majesty played his assistant. And, you know, and so he's always, you know, bringing in these models, taking pictures of them. And she kind of, her character was like, you know, I would like for you to shoot some pictures of me or whatever. And, she made a comment, like, in the scene where it's like, I'm going to get some champagne. And he's like, champagne, what, huh, what, champagne? And she's like, yo, when you, you got all these other models up in here, you, you you got toasting it up, you're drinking and whatever, so you're going to shoot some pictures of me, you're going to do the same thing for me. We're going to drink some champagne. So I do the scene where it's like, I got this guy, like, drinking champagne, drinking champagne, which was really apple juice because uh, I didn't want to get him drunk, which later turned out to be... Something was discovered that when he we had to come back later that night and finish shooting the scene. When he comes back, he's already inebriated, drunk. Um, the dude could not remember none of his lines. We're trying to get this scene done, and I'm like, this is the scene where he posted like you know him and his his assistant. You know, they they start out doing a photo shoot, then if the photo shoot goes to them having sex. I, I, but it was—I don't think it was that part was, was that was a problem with him being drunk. I'm sure it wasn't, um, because I remember him like gets, getting butt-ass naked real quick. Um, so, and and because and, and see, I, I had I Stanley—Stanley I Kubrick—him before I even knew a lot about Stanley Kubrick, because I was so annoyed at the fact that this dude had showed up drunk, couldn't remember his lines. Drunk. Every I mean, anybody that was there remember that night because I kept them there. We like I was like, we getting this, we getting this, we we're doing this tonight. Like nobody's leaving. Like we're finishing the scene. And I remember it was like people sleeping stuff like that in the lobby and shit. But I like we are getting this shit done because nobody told this dude. I did not. This dude should not have came back here drunk. And I had him going take after take after take after take. Stanley Kubrick, because you know, Stanley Kubrick had a thing, he could torment actors sometimes. And I just kept doing that. I was doing this before I knew what Stanley Kubrick does. And I remember having this dude do all of these takes until I got this the take that I wanted. And uh I just did that mainly. I had to probably much pretty much had to take probably, you know, take ten, but I pushed it out to, like take sixty. Just because he showed up like that. And uh, you know, it was just sometimes it was just that kind of stuff. Like when you're doing these, like when you're doing a film, and especially you're doing it for the first time, and it's this you I mean straight guerrilla style, it's like you gotta be in a mindset where your goal is to go from point A to point B, which is point B is completion. And that was my goal to get to point B to completion, which we did. We did the movie, and we got it completed in all of the slight technical errors or whatever I might have had because I didn't know a whole lot what I was doing at the time, but I achieved my goal. I got the movie completed. I did a showing of it. Uh the first time I did a screening of a movie, I done it at the Greenwich Tavern. Uh Mark Yates was always so kind. He's so kind to a lot of people here in the city to allow them to do different things, to host different shows and, movies and plays and spoken word and all that kind of stuff up there and I did uh it was such a cool night because I remember what I did like I did three showings at night I think it started like eight o'clock the next one was like at 10 it mean, was like late showings and stuff like midnight showings and stuff I think the last one was like almost like at midnight or something like that really cool atmosphere and stuff uh it just it's it's, it's, it's it's it was blowback from the movie. I had people um, couldn't believe I did that. Like, this is that movie you was working on. All that stuff you was talking about—this foul, disgusting, perverted, sexual women bent over the bathroom, foul-mouthed, drug dealing, and all this kind of shit. And it's like this is what you've been working on. Yeah, that's what I've been working on. How you like it? A lot of people didn't. Hey, I, at the time I liked it a lot. Now when I look back on it, I I, I remember using, hearing Spike Lee used always say he couldn't watch his movies. I saw I couldn't I could never understand it. Like it's your movie, so Something got you started. Like how could you not watch it? I get it now because like you realize like your knowledge and your experience and your expertise or whatever where how little of it that you had when you did that into where you are today. You just realize that uh. Yeah, like that was, that wasn't some of my definitely some of my best work, but uh, I just want to thank a lot of people that was involved in that. Uh, I said I'm gonna like I looked at some of these names in the credits, and I said I'm gonna look some of these people up on Facebook. I'm pretty sure they'd be like, "Is that that Lee Zellers guy? Just sent me a friend request. Why do I know him? Oh my God, not him!" Yeah, I remember people told me stuff like, "Man, you should not have never did that." Like ain't nobody gonna ever let you make no movie ain't nobody gonna want to be in your films and all this kind of stuff because right you no know, like I hey, I just did what I wanted to do look the movie cost me I might have spent a hundred dollars on it or something if I spent that much uh when that movie was done I used to go out on the streets and sell DVDs because DVDs was king back then Nobody was streaming shit. It was all about the DVD. We just got out of VHS tapes. Some people even preferred to have a VHS tape because they were still using their VCRs. So, uh, what I, I, th- I would go out. I had a portable DVD player. I've always been somewhat of a salesman because I took sales up in school. I would have my portable DVD player where I could play the trailer on it. Sometimes I would be lucky and go in somebody's establishment. They're like, hey, you can pop the trailer into the DVD player and everybody in here could look at it. I always loved that. That was always the best thing. I would go into every barbershop. I used to always say this. There was a time I bragged about this. There wasn't a barbershop or a beauty salon in the city of Cincinnati that I had not been into. I hit every one of them. Every weekend, I would go out, hustle my movie. Every weekend, I would go out. It was easily, easy, very easy, like from Friday, mostly just Friday and Saturday, because those were the only times I would get out there. Sunday, uh, y'all, as y'all know, barbershops, beauty salons usually close on Sundays, some up. them. Um, but every Friday and Saturday, I would get out and hustle my movie. And it was very easy to make a hundred. Two hundred dollars each day. I go out. It was very easy to do that. I ju- I used to just go out and would just make like. <laughs> Soon as I made like a hundred, I just had this thing like I just want to make a hundred dollars, and then I go out tomorrow and I make another hundred. I was good with that, and that's what I would do. And I forgot how many this I sold at the time, but I sold quite a quite a few. Like I said, I hit there was in the barbershop or beauty salon at that time in Cincinnati that I hadn't been in. Till it got to the point where I couldn't find no more. I would go out to Westchester, Forest Park. Then I started going up to Hamilton. Then I started going to Dayton. And uh and like uh, and then I would, and, and I was, I was the cool, I was a guy who would like would do this with my actors. I done it with almost all my movies. That when we sold them on DVD, I was like, "Look, I'm gonna give you X amount of movies. Go out and sell them, sell them for this, bring me back half." And that's how we would roll with this. And uh, some of them, they they had that hustle game about them. They did good. I knew, I knew some that used to tell me. You know, you helped me pay some of my bills by doing this stuff. So, um, the movie, not a great film. not a high-quality film at all. Um, uh, financially, very successful film, very much. Um, as I got into the second film, um, got exposure. Got a little newspaper, media exposure to the point where it reached people, um, not they it wasn't in Hollywood, they was here, I didn't know they was here, but Technicolor had a an office in uh Williamburg and they saw an article in the paper and that's a whole other story. I may talk about it, may not. But uh yeah. It was a great experience, it was a great time. Two thousand three. In this movie called Nattyville. People that hear this podcast Devonda Jordan, not Devonda Jordan, I just, that's not Devonda, i uh just sorry, Miss uh, Tabitha, I'm sorry, Tabitha, uh, what's her last name, Porto, P- I think her name is different now, but anyway, Tabitha is like one of the only actresses from that time who I'm working with now, and i uh, just just work with her in Chasing the Moon, so that, that was done in 2003, here we are in the year 2021, I don't know how many projects I've done since then, awards I've won for films, screenings and all that kind of stuff that I've done, newspaper articles, TV interviews, all kind of stuff, and I remember when I did that movie, I remember how people told me, like, because of the kind of film I've done is if, like, you never go nowhere with the stuff. No, I didn't make it to Hollywood with it, but, you know, that was never the goal anyway, so I've... I feel like I was, uh, I'm, I am don't just feel that like I've been successful in what I've set out to do because I achieved the goal. That's what you want to do. You want to achieve the goal. Each time I stepped out, I've achieved my goal. And I just want to thank all those people for being in my little gutter-ass film who played all those little disgusting parts, being bent over in the bathroom stall, doing sex scenes and throwing knives and pretending to cut off dicks and people taking your panties and doing I don't know what with them. Speaking of panties, there was another scene in there. It was so hilarious, I forgot about it. It was a scene in there where there was a flashback scene where just one of the characters talked about her boyfriend and how all he liked to do was just wear panties on his head. And I was like, dude, we need to do this scene. He's like, what? I need for you to put these panties on your head because we got a flashback scene and just your, your character got panties on his head and he's like watching this girl dance and he got her panties on his head and the crazy stuff people would do. Um, Hey, that's what you do when you're making movies. Sometimes you got to do crazy stuff. You got to be willing to do it. I just like to say I hope y'all enjoyed this podcast. I enjoyed talking about it. I enjoyed going back in time to talk about this movie, Nattyville, with this track that was done by my man, Rob G., (laughs) It was Ken Folk. John know, like his music game is totally. I mean, this was, this was 2003. He's, he's, he's doing it on a whole nother level. But back then, that, that was the track. Thank you for tuning in. I'm out. It's so, tell me wrong. Got it wrong, and like little kids, and I'm wrong. The you did, it, did it wrong. It's wrong, but I have to make it so. Make it so, I'm a bigger for boy, to you get your game right. If it can't something ain't right, I'm a club, no good. In the middle of it all. Did it was fun, since the night it all, 24 small, like post it.